0: And the beauty of a triple net lease investment property is you typically have a performing tenant from day one. You have 100% occupancy. Uh, You have a cash flowing tenant if it's structured correctly, and you have essentially zero operational risk that comes with expenses as an owner.
1: It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out of the box real estate investing strategies brought to you by ecospace.com. Now here's your hosts, Adam and Jason.
2: Welcome to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason J. Lou Lewis. Today, we are getting to dive into single tenant net lease, specifically in the industrial sector, sale leaseback and structural value add, and then operational risk reduction. It sounds like a lot and I'm excited to dive into it. And who we're getting to dive into it with is Mr. Neil Walgren. He's the COO at MAG Capital Partners. He's responsible for the equity and investor relationships for their industrial offerings. He's also a California native. And as a fellow quasi pilot myself, uh, the fact that he's a Navy pilot veteran is a a huge bonus. So I'm excited to dive into the real estate and also maybe a few minutes on the veteran uh, pilot Navy background. So always fun to dive into the personal side a little bit. So Neil, it's an absolute pleasure to have you on today and uh, excited to dive into it. Cool. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Really looking forward to the show. Well, let's, we normally just jump right into kind of how, how did you start uh, in the real estate game? Kind of take us back to your, maybe your first deal that, that hooked you on to the real estate and they created real estate podcasts and, and our, my personal company is mission statement is all about value add. So, um, kind of what, what attracted you to, to that sector?
0: Yeah, I, I had uh, well, I, I, think that everyone's, you know, story, how they jumped into it's always kind of unique and fun to hear, but, uh, mine actually came, uh, I was moving back to the Bay area about six years ago or almost seven now and had the opportunity, there was a a family friend of mine who had started and grown a real estate, commercial real estate equity company. And so his firm basically uh, had a network of investors. And what he would do is partner with operators, uh, typically commercial real estate brokers on a deal to deal basis, and typically do 50, 50 JVs, he would bring the equity and investor side, and then the operator would be the asset-facing, uh, you know, really the expert in that field. And what was kind of neat was, you know, very early on, I had a chance to work with, you know, six, seven, eight different operators that we would do repeat deals with. So we had, you know, one group that specialized in multifamily in the Southeast, another one that did a lot of Midwest multi-tenant retail, uh, another one that did single-tenant net least industrial and the group uh, mad capital that i worked with and raised funds for for a couple of deals back in 2016 2017 mad capital partners Uh, They really, it was neat getting to see how that space compared with the other ones out there. And I was really drawn to both the team and the the, really the simplicity on how you can structure these deals, still add value, but have the stability based around a strong triple net lease, you know, long-term and having good credit tenants, um, but building
2: value in how you structure that lease and, and transaction. That's great. So that was about six to seven years ago, and then you you joined Mag uh, Capital at that time, or was there kind of a something that led you to that, maybe a, a deal or two elsewhere, or did you jump right in with, with Mag at that time? Um, so I worked at the previous firm for about four years, and then about two
0: years ago, had the opportunity to join up full-time with, with, uh, Dax Mitchell and Andrew G the two principals at mag. So currently my role is, is the strategic side with operations along with overseeing all of our investor development. And, you know, I'm really the interface between the offerings that we have and raising and, and
2: collecting the, the equity capital from our investors. That's great. So what's something that you could kind of tell our listeners that, um, has attracted you to these triple net? Well, one, let's maybe explain a little bit, uh, to some of our listeners, what, what a triple net type lease is, and then what attracted you to that, uh, sector specifically over single family or, um, mobile home parks or whatever that might be. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great question. So, Really, I
0: mean, and the beauty of a triple net lease investment property is you typically have a performing tenant from day one, you have hundred percent occupancy, uh, you have a cash flowing tenant, if it's structured correctly, and you have essentially zero operational risk that comes with expenses as an owner. So really that the tenant is coming in and they have typically a long-term 15 to 20 year lease uh, often in their space. They are paying for everything. They're paying taxes, insurance, maintenance, improvements, utilities. And when it's single tenant, it typically goes on to include roofing, landscape, pavement, you know, heating and air. Uh, so 100 percent of things that can go wrong and cost you money as a landlord are all on the tenants. What that means is you have an extremely stable, predictable set of cash flow streams during
2: the hold period, with not a lot that can go wrong to mess that up downside on something like that is uh, very low cap rates you're when you're buying these things unless you're maybe developing them and, and having kind of a tenant in tow um, where the price comes in is is really where the interest rate is because people just have to make that that Delta above what they can get that interest rate for and and what that kind of coupon clipping tenant that they're getting each month that that rent uh, where the tenant pays for everything else. So you really, what, what you get is what you take home versus a single family, what you get, there's a lot of money in OPEX that goes out the door after that. So, um, maybe tell a little bit about kind of what you see as a, as a downside to that and why, um, people might not be open to, to taking that risk on or, or that downside. Yeah, no, it's a very good question. You know, really, you know
0: that cap rate is a function of risk for any sort of asset type, right? you know, even take multifamily, you could buy, you know, mid mid priced, uh, you know, solid build right in downtown Dallas, and you know, you'd have a, a relatively low cap rate compared to something much more tertiary that needed a big value add renovation. Uh, the same goes with a single tenant net lease space. Um, so we, uh, you know, a lot of times people will see, you know, for example, take a Walgreens, right. Walgreens is is a very high credit tenant. You know, there's essentially zero risk that that Walgreens goes out of business as
2: such because the, the risk disclaimer is Disclaimer there listeners. <laughs> Walgreens could go out of business. 100% and 0% uh I I uh, I will allow that, but uh, I will put a disclaimer that don't come after me if if uh, you go buy a Walgreens and <laughs> and something does happen. So, fair enough. Um,
0: we'll talk on relative terms, right? Um, so sure. that that Walgreens is going to have a relatively low cap rate and relatively low cash flow generated, but you as an owner are going to have you know again a, a relatively low risk investment. Where we play in is is what's called sub investment grade. Um, so investment grade is. Really, any tenant company that makes roughly $100 million or more in revenue, and they're going to have outside credit agencies often be publicly traded, and you're going to have Moody's or S&P giving you a a credit score that everyone can look at, agree on, hey, this is the risk. And really, there's not a lot of value to be pulled from that. Um, Where we actually create value is um, ultimately buying real estate that is occupied by sub-investment grade, which means any tenant below 100 100 million. And these are prime targets for individual investors, for investment groups, for small REITs, or really more nimble um, uh, investment teams that are looking for above market returns. And we play in that space because we believe we can create value in the arbitrage between real and perceived risk. So a lot of times people will see these companies and go, "Hey." You know, this company only has $70 million a year in revenue, but when you're able to go and do the analysis and show, hey, this company has been very profitable for the last, you know, five, 10 years, Uh, they have great balance sheets, low debt, great EBITDA and EBITDA margins. You can really show that, hey, this, the risk of this investment is tied to this tenant, which even though they're a little smaller than say a publicly traded company can still have really solid credit um,
2: to give you a low risk income stream above market that you might see in other deals. Are there any examples of tenants that uh, listeners might know about that uh would be classified cuz everyone knows Walgreens and CBS and that's of course, a, of course. Um, that's an investment grade type of of property. Um any that they would know the name that be like, "Oh, okay, I get why they might not be a, a Walgreens grade tenant." um in in actuality probably not
0: okay. um most of what we buy are manufacturing companies that do b2b products okay. so they're typically not selling to consumers uh, and just to use some examples you know some recent tenant companies that our firm has bought the real estate around you know one was uh it was called gamma aerospace and they're a contract parts manufacturer for government aerospace systems you know the F22 yeah. the C130 Whole bunch of uh, you know long running government planes. Uh, another one was called Huntington Solutions. They made foam, uh, high density, laser cut foam end capped end caps for high end electronics and appliances. So they would sell that to like Whirlpool and you know Roomba and, and really anyone who's shipping these out. So you you as a consumer would probably not be directly exposed to these companies, but other other companies are buying their products for you know ultimately the final goods.
2: And that makes sense because of your comment of the perceived versus, um, you know, actual risk. Whereas if they don't know that name, they might perceive it as a little higher risk than a Walgreens. But in reality, they're backed by a guaranteed 10-year government contract that is as secure as potentially a, a Walgreens corporate type of uh, guaranteed lease. So, Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, and then what were some of the cap rates on something like this. I mean, what, what are you seeing that the cap rate from a, if it was a, 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 Walgreens or equivalent of in that sector, industrial, a industrial grade um, or investment grade property versus your sub investment grade, what are, what's the Delta between those, those cap rates on like properties, you know, Apple's Apple. Yeah.
0: No, great, great question. You know, um, just to use a Walgreens example, you know, Walgreens in downtown LA, you know, might trade at a two and a half, three cap even. If you get that closer to the Midwest, you might see it closer to like four and a half or a five cap. What we're buying is, is typically in the Midwest, often in in secondary cities. You know, cities like Omaha, like Lincoln, um, you know, outside of Indianapolis, um, but areas manufacturing tends to favor that Midwest and Texas corridor because you have a more geographically centered area. We like it. Um, you know, The overall land values tend to be a little lower and you're investing less in the actual bones of the real estate and you're investing more in the credit of the tenant that you're, you're taking on. So it's a little bit uh, of a different shift, especially as a real estate investor to go, Hey, you know, my real estate's still important. I, I need to make sure that, you know, if, if I was to lose a tenant, I still have quality real estate at a good basis, but the security of that, you know, and really the risk of that investment is tied much more to the tenant than the actual, you know, demographics of the metro. So, um, but back to your question, we're buying typically, you know, low sevens to low eights uh, in terms of cap rates, uh, in term, and and that really is providing us, you know, strong strong tenant companies, uh, and usually in secondary cities and we'll do a trade-off sometimes if we pursue, you know, a stronger tenant than normal, then we might be willing to accept a slightly more tertiary than normal location and those two, you know, tend to balance each other out.
2: Yeah, that's I mean, today to get a triple net lease type of of tenant at a seven to eight cap. Um, I'm looking at my broker emails uh, here. I'm just, I just typed into my email, you know, NNN to see what pops up. And the Upland real estate group in Houston, Texas sent us uh, a $2.3 million Jiffy lube, 15 year triple net lease in the Houston at five and a quarter cap rate. Um, And there's uh, um, just going here. There's several Starbucks that are, going there is uh yeah you're looking at four to five cap is kind of what i'm seeing on my email blast from people across the country that's got a hold of our emails that's sending stuff to us uh here's a dollar general which seems to be a pretty popular one nowadays that people uh, love those yeah that you because you can buy those in anthony kansas that town of 1800 <laughs> where i grew up they have yep. they just built literally a morton building if anyone's from us you know the country knows what a morton building it's like the cadillac of metal buildings and uh, essentially a morton building with shelves inside and that's it but so really you're definitely not buying, uh, the real estate when you buy an Anthony, Kansas town of 1800 of <laughs> Morton building for a million bucks, you're buying that 15 year absolute triple net. Um, and, uh, so they're showing here it's 5.75 for uh, Walgreens, 2.7 yeah. million for a triple net lease in, um, off of salton city california wherever that is i don't even know where salton <laughs> city not, it sounds cool you know might have to visit there someday but um and then if so if you're picking these up for seven or eight when when my average email is is alerting me that 5.75 seems to be and uh and that's, that's a decent spread. Cause right here they're saying it, the lease is corporately guaranteed by dollar general corporation, which holds a credit rating, which you mentioned of a BBB, which is classified as quote investment grade. So there, there's your mm-hmm. investment grade and you're picking these up. And uh, if you're, if you're making two to 3% spread between this type of deal and the ones you're investing in, in today's, um, low interest market, there, that can be a profitable venture. Yeah. Well,
0: and so one other way to create value in these single tenant net lease is how you acquire them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, really the, the two main ways, um, you know, what you're seeing there in your, your email box are stabilized uh, net leased investments, right? Where the leases in place, you simply would be coming in buying the real estate, uh, and that lease would be tied to that real estate that you would now, you know, be the, be the, uh, the, the lease or of now that the other version is, um, the space that we play in and a way that we're actually able to build some additional value. And that's in the sale leaseback space. So when, when you are actually going in, um, contracting really two levers with a owner occupant company that is selling you the real estate and prepared to simultaneously lease it back at the close of that transaction. Um, that you really, have, you have two levers instead of one. So instead of just negotiating price, now you negotiate price and lease terms. And you have a lot more, I would say, you know, I compare it more to an art form than than just strictly buying a, an established lease on the market there, because, there's a lot of needs that sellers have that can vary quite substantially. You know, Some are looking to maximize proceeds. So they might say, hey, I'm looking to sell this building at the, at the top of the market, and I'm willing to turn around and lease it at a high rate per square foot uh, on my lease rate. Whereas others might say, hey, we're looking for you know a, a bottom market lease rate, so we're willing to accept more minimal proceeds when we sell this. And then you have other functions. You can play with the term of that lease you know, really the, the longer the lease is, the more favorable it is to the new buying group. Uh, the shorter it is, the better it is for the tenant because it gives them flexibility, obviously, and some negotiating power when they go to, to re-up those leases. So uh, by, by acquiring and structuring the investment around a sale leaseback, historically we think um, we normally see about a 50 to 75 basis point spread in terms of cap rate uh, benefit compared to if we bought that same deal on the open market.
2: Yeah. Uh, I I love your comment about how it's an art form as much as a real estate deal, which it is because you take this piece and you put it over here and you move this, which triggers this piece to have to be readjusted. And in the day you have to make sure that that final puzzle is, is complete. And if you kind of miss one piece, then that's when things can fall apart pretty quickly. So, um, two questions for you on that. Um, are you finding these as brokers that are reaching out that you'd said you kind of partnered? Is this a CBRE broker in Omaha that has a a tenant that, um, owns the building and they helped them buy it? That's that that you're getting the heads up that they would be open to selling or are you uh, marketing directly to these sectors to say we'd love to free up your capital kind of marketing directly to them and then the the second is do you guys do the the tenant in tow type of strategy where you're you have the tenant and then you go buy the building for them and then and do what you're talking about having that lease at the same time that you're actually buying the building for them and they're not already in it and own it, um, do you do that strategy at all?
0: Yeah. Uh, great questions. Um, so the first one, you know, really how, how do these deal flows come about? Um, so most national brokerage firms, you know, your CBREs, your Marcus and Millichap, NAI, most of these will actually have a, a subdivision, typically a small subdivision that's devoted strictly to, sale leaseback. And the reason they have a dedicated team is really because it's such kind of a nuanced skill that's much different than standard brokerage that these guys will only typically play in the sale leaseback space just because they understand how to you know map out the value for an owner occupant who's looking at you know, the cost benefits of maintaining ownership or selling in a sale leaseback and becoming a tenant. So most of our deal flow comes really just from, you know, personal relationships from brokers and then also from private equity firms. And where that private equity piece comes in is why would a tenant or excuse me, why would an owner occupant want to sell, right? What's their motivation for wanting to do that? And what we found historically is you'll typically have a manufacturing company often built from scratch, sometimes 40, 50 years ago usually the owners are looking to retire, You know, they're looking for their exit and they attain that by selling their, their company, which also includes the real estate, to a private equity firm. That private equity firm typically takes on some debt for that acquisition. They like to, or feel that they can um, generate better returns from growing that company than they can by owning real estate. You know, it's just a different risk profile. So that's their motivation to sell the real estate take 100% of the proceeds from that real estate and rein, reinvest it into the company and that'll be you know new capex improvements, you know new manufacturing lines, new headcount, paying down corporate debt, you know a number of ways to to really lean out that company such that it's really geared for the growth that that private equity firm thinks they can do. So that's that's often our um, standard seller profile is a
2: manufacturing company recently acquired by a, a small boutique private equity group. That's great. That's a great little niche because I, I know a lot of our clients when I was at CB Richard Ellis back in the early 2000s were in that in that oh five, oh six, oh seven, you know, in that run up, they would made a lot of that money. Mm-hmm. They were ready to kind of retire in the Midwest. This was Kansas City at the time, uh, across the Midwest there. And um they were selling out to the private equity groups for that 30, 35 million uh range and but they owned owned some real estate because they had built it or bought it back in the day for pennies on the dollar. So yep. Um, so that's, uh, we dealt with quite a few of those on their, on their lease and different things. So, um, yeah, um, very interesting. And then, then do you guys do any of the kind of tenant in tow that you help find deals or is it, do they need to kind of own the real estate?
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a great question there. Uh, not really. Um, there, there's some opportunity, I think from, you know, national brokerage level firms that have, you know, probably a, a bigger headcount, um, ours, we kind of stay niche and we we
2: historically have not taken that approach. Right. Well, let's take a quick break and then we'll come back uh, with Neil and we'll wrap up with the final five.
1: We'd like to thank our sponsor, Ecospace Real Estate. Ecospace is a Denver, Colorado-based real estate company with a national reach. They provide a unique offering called Flip Your Home, where they utilize their own internal fix and flip crews to flip their clients' homes prior to listings. Their brokerage clients gain on average $23,000 of instant equity, which is then taken 100% tax-free. If you'd like to learn more about gaining additional tax-free equity in your home prior to listing, then please visit ecospace.com. We're back to the Creative Real Estate podcast.
2: Uh, with Mister Neil Walgren, and on break we got to chatting about uh, aviation and and being a pilot. Uh, his background is is in the Navy, is that right, Neil? Is Navy? or uh, but the Air Force. Air and Force. The Navy, Okay, flying the C-130 Hercules, and both. That's that's great. So we were talking about uh, just flying the little GA general aviation planes nowadays for for fun and kind of putting around and how. There's quite a few real estate people that now have got into the general aviation for use of acquiring real estate and flying to properties that they otherwise really couldn't get to easily. So, uh, fun little off-offline chat. So, if you guys have interest in aviation, uh, that can be something Neil, uh, at least out in the West Coast in San Francisco, can. Can maybe help you with if you're interested in, in learning about a club or anything. So, well, let's um, let's get right into the final five. The the first one is we just like to ask, what's your favorite real estate deal? What's what's kind of that value add, creative deal that pops up that you would like to kind of share uh, some insight on that might motivate or help someone else? Yeah, no, that's that's a fantastic question. Um, I would say.
0: You know, just in terms of the the emotional component while we were going through getting this deal past the finish line was uh, kind of an interesting sale lease back up in Rochester, New York. And it was in March of 2020, which, you know, as everyone knows, was kind of right when the whole COVID situation was coming in hot and heavy. And we were under contract with uh, this company called Satus They make frozen pie, um, uh, frozen pie manufacturer. And they, you know, the customers included, you know, Walmart, some grocery chains, Target, um, you know, and a number of, of different suppliers there. And they would do both their own branded uh, frozen pies and also white label, you know, for these these national grocers. But they were interesting. They, they had temporarily lost the contract to Walmart uh, two years prior. And then uh, um, about 12 months went by and they were able to reconnect with a new buyer in there and got it reestablished. So their, their revenues were really choppy. Um, and so there was... It was a mix of having to spin and and really kind of convey, hey, how how is this company on a turnaround? Why do we feel like it's it's on the right side of the you know this change in terms of, of revenue and it's swinging upwards, and kind of conveying that to investors while all of COVID was kind of coming down, and really the challenges of looking at the different iterations of how we went about trying to sell this deal from February to early March to late March, you know, it started off a real estate deal. And then really we had to talk about the tenant much more. And then when COVID hit, we really had to pivot once again and really talk about, Hey, here's why this company is going to do you know, very well in the next few months because it had just been labeled a uh, an essential business, which, you know, at the time, most businesses were getting shut down, but because they were in food manufacturing, they, they got one of the rare, you know, essential business stamps of approval in New York state there. And, but then there was some additional concerns with investors. So we were able to rework the guarantees on the lease, and we're actually able to get a secondary personal guarantee from the owner of the company. And that kind of creative piece at the very end there was enough for most investors, even with all the the crazy turmoil and, you know, kind of just feeling of of aggregate riskiness, you know, in that phase of, of COVID and just, you know, everyday life. Uh, re, re, you know, basically reworking the guarantees on the lease and how we portray the the investment, we we're actually still able to to raise the funds we need and uh, and closed on the business. And since then, you know, it's been I guess about ten months uh, since we closed on the deal, and the company has just been phenomenal. It's uh, I think the revenues have gone way way up back into the the reprofitability kind of like we had had hoped they would and um you know they're looking to expand into another location in florida here in short order
2: yeah who who doesn't love sitting at home uh and 2020 eating a frozen, you know, freshly cooked, uh, pie that, you know, so it's what else we had to do the last year Exactly, right. around and eat, <laughs> eat, eat pie. So, it's making yeah, me hungry. Just talking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I, yeah, I've been, I have a whole bunch of questions of like, you know, what's your favorite pie? What are, you know, things like that, but we got to keep it, keep it short and keep moving. But, uh, um, if I accidentally send my address and, uh, then, 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 you know, it might be. Because hey, you know, if pie shows up. <laughs> I might eat it. So, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if you have those uh, as the owner of the building. If you, if you know, you get a, free, a couple of free pies yeah. on occasion or not. But uh, Jason, I, can, I can pull some strings, and uh, I think I might be able to hook you up there. <laughs> nice. uh, okay, one comment on that. I have a uh, property that I lease to Little Man Ice Cream here in Denver. It's it's the most popular custom ice cream shop, and I I uh, have a little industrial building, and for for the fun of it, I got them to give me a $50, uh, ice cream, uh, gift card every month as part of their, their lease. So I, I give that away to kind of friends and family on the social media. So I, I got a $50 free ice cream. So maybe <laughs> I have the ice cream. You have the pie, apple I pie on mode right there. So uh, <laughs> that's so, fantastic. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I'll have to send you, I'll send you a gift card. You send me the pie and we'll meet up in the middle and, and, uh, and, and enjoy it. So I love it. <laughs> all right. Second, third questions kind of ties in together. Where, where do you see the market just in a kind of a short, you know, one, one few couple sentences, where do you see the market in five years? And where do you guys kind of see yourself at that time? Ooh, five years is tough. Um, you know, I would say, and maybe slightly more
0: near term, you know, we're seeing really just a, a lot of money in the market, and you know that's that's adding competition, which I think most asset classes are seeing, you know, lately. But uh, one good thing, especially on the sale east back side. The whole transactional strategy of a sale leaseback we believe and we've seen it has become more and more you know quote unquote mainstream where you know more and more owner occupants are looking at that as a viable alternative to conventional financing um, so I think we're going to continue to see to see deals and continue to see alignment for folks that are looking for that transaction and being able to take down these industrial single tenant net lease yield deals so.
2: right what what's one way you like to add value to the real estate community? Um, given that it's given a lot to you guys and your success the last six to seven years. Yeah, no, great question. I mean, we do a lot of education,
0: um, just a lot of investors, typically the natural progression tends to be, you know, single family investments, then multifamily possibly dabble in commercial and retail. And, you know, a lot of folks have never even, even considered a industrial side. So we, um, my brother and I, we actually run the, the equity team and we do a lot of education, um, a lot of, you know, speaking, not really from a sales side, but just, just the education and enlightenment side of, of both, you know, how to look at this asset class and try to give you some additional tools of comparison, you know, and this is more of a yield focused as opposed to a, you know, a major real estate value add play that you see in other asset types, Uh, And then the other one is really just, you know, taking care and, and, you know, networking with your investors and, you know, that just your investors and your community and in general, you know, I found, you know, there's a lot of questions people come about with that maybe might not even be down your fairway, but just being able to connect and bring experts and bring friends that you've met along the way, you know, I've been doing this about six years, so not a huge amount, but long enough where I've made some great relationships and just the satisfaction of connecting you know, someone with a question and someone that you know has a great answer—you know—I feel like I bring a lot of value in, in those type of connections, and you know, I really enjoy it.
2: I like it. It it even shows when you're kind of talking about it. Uh, it gives you a little pep in. And- pep in your step. It looks like when you're talking about <laughs> kind of the give, give back and that value, which we really like. So last question, we'll wrap it up is what's the best way that we can put in the show notes uh, for someone to reach out if they're either an investor looking to place some funds or they have some questions or they want to try to get a free apple pie. <laughs> free, free pie. We'll have to talk, but yeah. no, in,
0: in general, you know, we have some general education on our website. Um, it's, it's magcp for mag capital partners, uh, dot com. Uh, or you can just email me directly, Neil N-E-I-L at magcp.com. And um real, real approachable, um, real easy to talk to and love to either take a call or or answer any questions
2: you have over email and um uh, just take them as they come. Well, Neil, I greatly appreciate giving us a little over half an hour here to dive into the triple net. I think it's a great alternative asset uh, class. Um as there's so many different types of real estate you can dive into. And I think this is definitely one that sometimes maybe a little overlooked. So uh, I'm very excited to be able to dove in a little bit today. Um, so thank you for coming on. Thanks so much for having me, Jason. Really enjoyed it. Excellent. Well, listeners, as always until next time, think
1: outside the box.